Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, June 6th edition of the Basement Academy. And yes, you can tell that my voice is still pretty thin. I couldn't go yesterday. Sorry, team. <laughs> Sunday wore me out. I don't know if it's allergies, a virus, not sure what exactly, but I could only croak out words yesterday. So sorry to take the pass. I'm a little stir crazy. And so today we'll offer what I think will end up being a short reflection. Uh, but I do want to stay on topic. I think this is such an important topic. want to kind of keep the ball uh, rolling as it were. But uh, always love to begin with a morning psalm. Psalm 126 today. Yes, friends, is one of my favorites. And so let me read uh, just the, the whole psalm. It's just, was it five verses, six verses? And there's language that implies money, the restoration of fortunes. And so this is Psalm 126. It's a song of ascent as they would make their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. <clears throat> so you can imagine, after a time of exile, being separated from family, from farm, from the land. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Um, and so... Having possessions, wealth, income, resources is essential to life, to well-being. Now, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So we don't only need those things, but we need those things. God knows what we need. And so let's not run after the food, the clothing, the money, as the pagan world does. Let us seek first his kingdom. And so want to extend the reflection both from Sunday morning uh, worship, but really last week reading from Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one, hate the other, or be devoted to this one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And then Jesus says, relax. I know what you need. God knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom. Make the kingdom your priority. Let, let, let your treasure, your true treasure be in that invisible realm where God dwells, the eternal, unchanging God in the temporal world that money occupies. Money is ever-changing, so don't set your hearts there. Set your heart on the true treasure. So <clears throat> was thinking over the weekend about the spiritual 
power of money, the spiritual nature of money. And I remembered something I had read long ago in a book by a guy named Jacques Ellul, E-L-L-U-L, a French author of maybe a generation ago. Ellul's book, Money and Power, Money and Power. He wrote about how money is a taboo subject in our society. Money is taboo. That is, it is completely out of line for you to ask somebody about their income and how much they make and how much they have, you know, their net worth. How much do you have in the bank? How much do you have in the stock market? As it is inappropriate for you to announce that to other people. Now, I wonder how he would rewrite that um rewrite that book today in light of celebrity culture, particularly athlete culture where contracts are public business and um, athletes seem to trumpet that. They want their salary. So I'm, you know, where I stand on the, on the pecking order. Anyway, Elul's simple test is this. <clears throat> Go try to ask somebody how much money they make and watch their reaction. Or how would you react if somebody asked you how much money you make? Corporations and organizations go through all measure of of, um, effort to safeguard that information, right? And so... Financial disclosure has two, kind of runs two paths in our society. Financial disclosure is a taboo. Now, Elul points out in the book, the taboo nature of disclosing one's income, disclosing one's uh, amount of money they have, is tantamount to treating money as a god. Recalling that our Jewish friends, the Orthodox, will not even pronounce the name of God. If you've ever read in a commentary uh, where um, a, a Jewish rabbi has been involved, you might see the, the, the word G and then underscore, no letter, underscore, and then D. They will not even write the name of God. The name of God is so holy, it shall not be spoken. And he points out a parallel. We confer a holiness upon money. We will not even speak its amount, its name, so to speak. And so there is this taboo quality to money in our society. And I think that reveals something, doesn't it? it you, you maybe never even thought about it. You just know that you were taught by your mother and father. You don't talk about money. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about sex or religion in public. 
You just you just stay away from those topics. You don't ask somebody, boy, how much did you pay for this house? You just don't ask that question. That would be socially inappropriate. Somebody gets a promotion. Hey, congratulations. What are they paying you there? You, you just don't ask that question. Now, people sometimes, again, our world is changing a little bit and people will announce, you know, look how much I'm getting. <clears throat> so there's this taboo quality. The other side of this is financial disclosure as accountability. So in our society, we require financial disclosures of certain levels of public officials. If you serve in the government at a certain level, you are required to disclose financial interests that you may have, lest you be compromised, right? They want to know the sources of your income. And so there's a, a, an accountability. Now, I don't know that that's available under the Freedom of Information Act. Maybe it is. I've, I've never checked. But the idea, I think, is that money is where people can get corrupted. It's usually hidden and secret. And so tell us about your relationship with money. Tell us your streams of income, what investments you have, what interests you may have financially. Because how you handle those will, will tell us something about your character. And we want to know, lest you act in a way that is uh, where you have financial interest. <clears throat> Sadly, I think this is violated all the time. We have, uh, we have an amazing set of stock pickers on Capitol Hill. And this is well-documented. People who are senators and congressmen who become aware of legislation pending that could affect industries all of a sudden are making financial decisions days or maybe weeks before these things are revealed and made public. Just pure luck, I'm sure, right? And so sadly, there's more work to do here. But there's some connection between financial disclosure and how you relate to money and your character. And, and we want to know those things because money has such power. People will make decisions based on financial interests. And so... <clears throat> A simple test to reveal the financial, or the spiritual power, albeit almost a holiness of money, is how much do you make? Now, we have to disclose that to the IRS, but we would be outraged if that information became public. Why? Why does it matter to you if other people know how much you make? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Why should it matter to you if other people know how much you make? Now, 
it is one of the gifts of being a Presbyterian pastor that my compensation package is a complete open book. My salary, what we call the terms of call, are voted on when I'm called as pastor at the beginning, back in 2001, and any adjustments to that have to be voted on at a congregational meeting in the light of day. I like that. I was uncomfortable with it at first. I've become more comfortable with it as time goes on. That helps keep me clean, right? Just my financial, here you go. This is the house I live in, 14896. Come on over. You can see. See where I live. And so there's this piece of it that I wanted to mention. <clears throat> and then this, what does it reveal about money and about us? Okay, so what does it reveal about money? What does it reveal about us that we generally refuse to share our income, annual income, and our net worth. So I'm, I'm asking the same question. What does it reveal about you? And what would it look like if you tried to share that information with others? What would happen? If you shared it with family members outside your, I, I assume your spouse, maybe your children don't even know what you make. Probably a good idea to have them know. I can just say that from my own experience. Our world is an open book, and so I think that's helpful. And so we're open with our children about their income levels and you know, offering encouragement and advice and some strategies for handling money. I think that's every parent's responsibility. But I think that also helps to clean up one's relationship with money. But what if you were to share with neighbors, other family members? Well, they would think you're nuts. They would think you're bragging. They would think maybe you've lost it, right? Why is dad all of a sudden telling us how much he makes? Now, I can tell you as you age and children start to get involved in your affairs and handling your affairs as I did with my parents, you darn well better let them know, right? If you've got money hidden somewhere, let them know because you are not. You can't take it with you. <laughs> and so children don't care about those things. Children are so happy. Mommy, mommy, I have 25 cents. I want to go to the candy store, whatever. Children are not corrupted. They're not captivated by money. At a certain point, that's maybe when the transition to an adult happens. All of a sudden, their relationship with money starts to change. And that's the spiritual power of money. It captivates, it seduces. It, it, it kind of whispers, come over here. You know, it, it, it works in the shadows. It, 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 it doesn't like to be known. You have power. Don't let other people know, okay? <clears throat> Just think about the bargaining table, the negotiating table. We'll maybe address this at another time. But, you know, why not just come in and say, here's how much we can pay for your product or your services. Oh, who's going to do that? You never be, want to be the one to make the first offer, right? Because, why? Well, if you make the first offer, ah, okay. So there's different strategies for negotiating. 
But isn't it funny? It's all about money. And money takes people who should be in an, a collegial working together relationship and it creates kind of an adversarial relationship. Either I win or you win. We don't both win. Why can't we accept a fair price? Well, who says what's fair? And so this is what money does, right? Um, an eye-opening conversation from many years ago <clears throat> when we lived in um, Colorado, our neighbors attended a local synagogue and I forget what the uh, actual occasion was. I, the, the, the church that we were engaged uh, in, we were serving, was going through a building project and I maybe mentioned something along those lines. And we got talking about how their uh, synagogue raises the annual budget versus how our congregation does. They said, oh, well, we just take the number of households who belong to the, the temple, the synagogue, and we divide the annual budget and we send them a bill. <laughs> and I was shocked. And I thought, who? We could never get away with that. Could you imagine Greenwich Presbyterian Church? If you're an active member, you're a member household of our church. We take the annual budget and just divide it by that number and send you a bill. Here's how much you owe to the church this year. How would you like that? Oh my goodness. Um, they charged for tickets for the High Holy Days. And so they're required to go and then they pay for tickets. Not just required to have the tickets, but you pay. It's like, wow. Could you imagine selling tickets for Easter and Christmas services? Now, I'm not intending this to be disparaging of that synagogue's practice. They are free to do as they wish. And that's the best practice for that uh, religious organization. I can't imagine that happening in any of the churches that I have served in. But what it ends up being is a cat and mouse game, right? We adopt a budget. We ask you to give. We, you know, as I mentioned on Sunday, we don't do a stewardship campaign, etc. And the reason we don't is because I observed in the first three or four years I was here when we did them, that was the lowest attended Sunday of the year. People clearly were uncomfortable with that. And so money in, in churches, in many churches, at least churches I've been in, both as pastor and as associate pastor and youth director, is always a little bit of a cat and mouse game. A little bit of shuck and jive. We're going to tell you how much we need. We're going to ask you to give. Bottom line is if everybody tithe, gave 10% of their income, there's no cat and mouse. If everybody did what they're supposed to do, there's no cat and mouse. Well, everybody doesn't do what they're supposed to do, right? We're going to talk about tithing uh, in a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So that was an eye-opening conversation. <clears throat> Another eye-opening conversation happened last fall. Uh, September-ish, I had been invited, I was invited to participate in an online webinar uh, invited by one of my Presbytery colleagues who works for the Presbyterian Foundation. 
and it was on um, stewardship in the time of COVID. And many congregations were finding just themselves to totally cash strapped. Attendance, you know, people were not coming to church at first at all. And then in a very limited way, uh, subsequently, and still not everybody has come back to church. And this is true at Greenwich. And so <clears throat> I was one of a set of panelists. I think there were four, uh, four pastors and then an interviewer. And it ended up being 40 or 50 participants, I think, in the, in the room. Um, and it's all online. And we, you know, how's your church doing? When did you open up? Blah, blah, blah. How are you handling finances? Well, you know, my experience is those first two years of COVID were, were the, the fullest financial years. The generosity, thank you, of, of so many at Greenwich. Last year was pinchy. It's because of inflation. That's why. Nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Just everybody gets a little nervous when the stock market's a little rumbly and inflation's up. You know, we just get a little nervous. And so that's what happens. That's why we're talking about this stuff, right? And then the question was, do you know what your congregants give? Do, are, are you... Are you as pastor made aware of the financial uh, donations of your congregation. Pastor one, absolutely. Pastor two, yes. Pastor three, certainly. Pastor four, Don Meeks, absolutely not. I have never been in a church where the pastor was privy to the financial information the, the do donation, giving information. I know the levels of giving, that's, those are just numbers. So I know some people give this much and some people give that much. We had to go through some of that as part of our um, building projects, building campaigns. But I don't have those numbers on the top of my head at all. But I don't know what any single member or household gives. Somebody could disclose that to me. That'd be the only way I know, but I don't, I don't get, I don't, I don't do that. And I do not want to do that. So my question, would you want your pastor knowing how much you give? Now, I had been in a seminar years ago when I was first starting out, uh, out, out in Kansas, church in Kansas. And the pastor of a big church was all in for the pastor knowing all that information. Not how much people made, but how much people gave. Because he said, how can you pastor people if you're not aware how much they're giving? And I thought pretty easy because I'm shepherding them through the word. I'm not shepherding them around their financial giving. Now, I, I understand his point. If somebody is giving and giving and giving regularly and then all of a sudden they stop giving, that's the indicator that you go make a pastoral visit to them. Perhaps they're in a medical crisis, a financial crisis, some other kind of crisis that has had them change their giving pattern. I understand that. I'll just tell you, friends, I don't trust myself enough. I know sin is too much a reality of my life. I wouldn't want to know what you give to the church. I, I, I might 
begin to defer to you if you give a lot or I perceive that you give a lot or I could see that, oh, you give more than the Jones family and the Smith family and the McGillicuddy family. And I see the car you're driving, maybe I start to think differently about you. And I say, how come you're not giving more? You should give more. Look at the car you're driving. I, I or, or you, you, you come in and say, hey, I'd, I'd really like to support that new, uh, you know, that new mission initiative. Well, okay, well, do we have to support that new mission initiative? Because you give a lot of money. I just don't trust myself, okay? And we know money buys influence in our society. And so I want to be beyond that. I do not want to be influenced by that. So anyway, these are some thoughts to get at this whole notion of the spiritual power of money. It's not neutral or lifeless. It, it, it can be tamed. It can become a servant. It is intended to be a servant, not a master. But how we treat it, the reverence with which we associate it, these kinds of questions help maybe to unearth some of the attitudes, the hidden attitudes and prejudices and biases we have in our hearts and maybe some of our love of money. And we'll, we'll talk about that passage too, about the love of money. But anyway, so with these thoughts, I'm back in the studio. Pray for my voice, pray that it returns. Um, but I did want to keep the ball moving on this topic with you. Let's pray for each other in our relationship with money, even as we pray for my voice, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and the opportunity to gather around your word, gather as people who are trying to live a faithful life in Christ, a life which is complicated so many times by money. And so heal our hearts, heal our lives, heal our relationship and restore our fortunes, O oh Lord, the proper relationship with money that we need to have. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters as I trust they pray for me, the restoration of my voice, that I might continue to serve you well. May we all serve you well in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God restore your fortunes in your life that you may love and serve him well this day and forevermore. Amen.